It's Rocktober on WOXR, Oxford's Classic Rock Radio. Coming up, it's a double shot of the Doobie Brothers. Dave. Yeah? Dave, no. No? Sorry. You're not... Now, you, you've even gone back farther in time. For the longest time, we're down in my basement. Yeah. AKA the Party Dungeon. Yeah. Just recording a podcast mm-hmm. about 97X, but you took it way back. I was going back to the future. W-O-X-R. Yeah. So we're not doing a double shot of Doobie Brothers? Journey? Uh... We'll work on that. We'll Survivor? On that. No, 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 no. You sure? No. Eye of the Tiger? Dave. Yeah. Why would we want to have play Eye of the Tiger when we have the founding father of 97X here with us today in the party dungeon live? One of the members of Mount Rushmore of 97X, the future well, of rock and roll? You know, I guess technically Doug and Linda Baylog, yeah. the owners of the station, mm-hmm. they, they would be the George and Martha, you know, the, yeah. the founding father. Yeah. But, but Steve is actually, he's more like the James Madison of 97X. You know, he's the one that wrote up, you know, kind of the drafted the Constitution for what 97X was all about. So would Cary Gray be the John Hancock? <laughs> Possibly. Okay, just checking. <laughs> no, he's the crazy uncle, always. Steve, thank you for joining us. I'm happy to be here, guys. Thank you for inviting me. Now, you're, this is like, we're in the presence of the man who, who had so much to do with the beginning of 97X, because Dave, as you mentioned before that, it was W, what was OX, OXR. OXR. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was, the format was more traditional rock. Did you work there at OXR? So when I started, it was WOXY, um, and they were it, it was being called 97X. Uh, but the format was, um, I think uh, it was kind of old school radio where uh, the, uh, what, what was the phrase, as the day gets older, the station gets younger. So during the day, um, they would play music. It was kind of a, uh, kind of an MOR rock, kind of a you know, middle of the road rock. And then once they got into the evenings, um, they wanted to make sure that they were appealing to the college sta- uh, college students who were kind of in and around Oxford. And so it went a little more AOR. And I think the reason for that was basically at the daytime, they wanted to do their very best to appeal to the merchants in Oxford from whom they were taking advertising dollars and who also would play the station in, in their, uh, you know, in their uh, businesses, basically. So that's kind of what it was when I first uh, started there. I was hired there to do um, nighttime. Uh, I was the night jock there when it was st- it was WOXY, but it was not um, an alternative rock station. Now, was it a fifty thousand watt stick then? And then did they go back to three thousand once it went to WOXY? Uh, that's exactly right. So yeah, we were super high powered. People were actually picking up the station on their fillings when I when I first started there. But oddly. Um, in a strange economic move, they decided to uh, move the stick into the middle of nowhere so that no one could hear it. Yeah, it was amazing, amazing decision. I'm not exactly sure well, why that was made. It, it, it made it, you know, more kind of like it, it was tougher to get. So right. It was a rarity, a rare gem. So it just made it more exclusive. That's exactly right. I guess that was the reason that they wanted to make sure that people uh, really had to seek it out. But were you so were Doug and Linda Baylog the owners when you joined the station? They were. They were the owners, and I don't think they had actually owned the station very long when I was hired. I think they were relatively new to owning the station. Okay. And then my understanding is you're the person who went to them and said, we should try something a little more alternative, a little more indie. Is that correct? Yeah. So that's that. Um, 
that's what happened. So it kind of so I was I was the nighttime disc jockey, and at the time at OXY there was a guy named Jay Batista who worked there, and Jay was the uh, Jay was kind of a jack of all trades. He was general manager. He did sales. And he also, I think, he, I think he had like a number one phone, so he could he he could go and work on the transmitter and stuff. So he was like engineer, salesperson, general general manager, all in one, and a relatively young guy. He was probably in his mid to late twenties or something like that. Um, and so he did all of the all of the scheduling. Um, the actual programming of the station was done by. Uh, Stacy Yelton, who went, I don't know if you guys know Stacy. she went on to work at Double Q in Lexington for like decades, but she was there. I think her name was Kelly Clark at, uh, at OXY. Um, anyway, she was doing the music, but Jay was kind of de facto PD. There was no official PD. And uh, so I used to kind of pimp him constantly um, to like let me do some kind of like punk rock new wave show, you know. Um, and so finally he acquiesced and let me do this show called This is the Modern World, which is the name of a, of a jam song. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I would do that for an hour. Um, I forget what night, but it would be a one-hour show over the course of, in, you know, I don't know how many weeks I did that. And um, as I was doing that, I would constantly say, hey, you know, you know the show. It's cool. You know, love the awesome show, right? You should do this. You should do this. This should be 24 hours a day. You should just. This should be the format of the radio station. And shortly before I actually started at OXY, I had been out in Los Angeles and I had made cassettes of K Rock, K R O Q. Mm -hmm. And um, K Rock, for people don't that don't know, was a um, it was a commercial FM rock station in Los Angeles whose format was 100% kind of modern rock, alternative rock, whatever you want to call it. The originators. Yeah, there were very few radio stations in the country that were doing that. I mean, in 82, I would say maybe uh, WLIR in Long Island and maybe FNX, I think, and, and Lynn, yeah, mm -hmm. Boston. So I would say no more than five or six stations uh, were doing it, but K-Rock was kind of the flagship. They were, they were the big guys. And so I gave Jay these tapes that I had made to um, kind of give him a better idea of what it could be, right? So he listened to them. I thought they were great. And I guess at some point he passed them along to Doug. And, um, and so Doug uh, called me or got in touch with me at some point. I think he just called me at the station one night. I didn't even have a phone. I lived about a half mile up 27 mm -hmm. in this place that I called The Shack. And I didn't even have a phone in there. So if anybody needed from the station needed to get in touch with me, they either had to call me while I was on the air or go up to my apartment and <laughs> knock on the door. Um, so I think he just called me one night and said, hey, uh, you know, Jay was telling me about this thing. And, you know, um, why don't you come out to the house and talk to Linda and me about it? I think it sounds interesting. So I went out to his house when... It was like a Saturday night or a Sunday night or something. I remember he threw steaks on the grill and popped open some Budweiser's. And I proceeded to basically tell him what I thought the station could be, you know, based on everything that I knew. Budweiser brought to you by Dickerson Distributing Company. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, absolutely it was. So you told him what you thought the station could be? I told him what I thought the station could be, and he listened and uh, had a lot of questions and such. And it feels like... 
it was literally like within a week. He just called me up and said, uh, okay, so, you know, that thing we were talking about, let's do it. Let's, let's go forward with it. Would you be the uh, program director and, and change it and, you know, make the change? And I was like, absolutely, I will. So we did. I mean, it was literally, that's, that's kind of how it happened. I know that there was kind of a OXY origin story that kind of got perpetuated in the later years that was slightly different than that, but... The one about they surveyed the students at Miami? Right, so the, the survey of, of, of students in Miami, um, that did happen, but, um, well, let me, let me say this. I suppose it's possible that prior to um, his calling me and saying, you want to come out to my house, I suppose he could have done a survey of students in Miami before he made that call. Um, he didn't mention it to me, and he didn't mention it to Jay that I know of. So I suppose it's possible, but I knew nothing about it. No, it's it's true. I just got a from Doug's attorneys. They just handed me this uh -huh. Dewey Cheatham out. There was a survey done ahead of time. Okay, if we could lay that down. Thank you. All sure. right. Was Richard Very Dawson good. in charge of it? <laughs> As a matter of fact, survey says. <laughs> Uh, but there was a survey. The survey that I know about was happened probably about a year or so after the the um, format was changed. And I think Doug was trying to figure out if anybody was actually listening, and if it was worth if the format was worth keeping. Yeah. Um, because even, while the, the entire time that I was there, I know um, 97X was kind of a tough sell. Um, and I'm sure it was probably a tough sell even when when you guys were still there. I mean, I think it it had always. Um, you know, it it never got a whiff in the Arbitrons. So um, I remember him even complaining to me in 84 and 85. It's like, I can't go to um, ad agencies with no numbers. Media buyers won't even give me a, a second look. Mm -hmm. So he was always trying to sell the context of the station. And I think that that survey helped provide some context for him. If he could at least say, I got a bunch of kids on Miami University's campus listening, then that's something to hang your head on, right? So yeah, it did happen, but honestly, I don't think, and unless he conducted two surveys, one before and then one a year later. Pre and um, post. Yeah, pre and post. I, I, don't, I don't think that happened. Yeah. No, and he, uh, Doug, when he did email us and say, said, you should talk to Steve because he had a ton to do with the beginning of 97X as a modern rock station. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, everyone knows U2 was the first song. Well, okay, so that's, that's another Thank part you. of the... That's why I want to bring that up. That's another part of the, uh, the kind of origin story. Uh, from my recollection, so first of all, U2 was being played on 97X even before we made the, the format switch. That rec, uh, the record with, uh, what was that, October? October yeah. had been out, you know. Um, and Stacy Yelton, uh, who was programming the music, had programmed that record. We were playing Gloria, I think, even before we made the switch that I can remember. Um, and um, when we made the change, like I literally kept the exact same clock that was, you know, uh, that that existed. All I did was took out a bunch of records that were being played and inserted um, a whole new crop of currents and stuck in a whole bunch of other, um, you know, older records to kind of fill out the, the um, this is kind of inside baseball radio, but, you know, just kind of fill out the, yeah. the, the music. And, um, and we created some new liners, and I think we just kind of did a soft switch. Like, I don't ever remember, to my recollection, 
I could be wrong, but I don't ever remember running any promos or anything that was like, you know, coming in five days, the new 97X. Like, I don't remember. We, I don't think we did any of that. I think we basically just changed the music, put in new liners that were like Oxford's. I remember I rotate. I had these a couple liners that we would rotate. One would be like Oxford's modern rock. And the other one was Cincinnati's Modern Rock, because I was trying to position the station kind of as, mm. you know, trying to make it feel, uh, I guess, bigger than it was. And then, the, then Millville's Modern Rock. That was, <laughs> that was later. Yeah. Right. Dartown's Modern Rock. <laughs> Shandon. Eaton's. Yeah. Preble County's. Preble <laughs> County's Modern Rock. Yeah. yeah. That was the goal. Um, so, yeah, I think we just kind of did a soft rollover. So there was no... That, to my recollection, I don't think we ever, there was no official first song. I think that, was, again, that was just kind of part of, part of the origin myth that was created years later. So that ruins my next question. What was the second song play? <laughs> I feel like we should... Well, that, are, that was definite. That I remember. <laughs> we need to change the name of the podcast from uh, Rumblings from the Big Bush to uh, Mythbusters because we're, we're, we're bursting a lot of bubbles. Who was the staff at the time when, you know, so when you were there? When I started? Yeah. Um, so mornings were done by a guy named Tom Daniels, who, um, uh, I, that's not, that was not his real name, and I forget his real name, but he really? went, he what? went, yeah, it's hard Radio to believe. people don't use their real name? Yeah, that weird thing where you take your first name and your middle name and make it your, <laughs> uh, so yeah, Tom Daniels, very nice guy. As an aside, Tom Daniels did, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this disc jockey named Jack Stahl, but he's on, he's on, actually he's still on the air, he's on 1480 SAI playing oldies, but he was on the air at 55 KRC at the time and did weekends and did like the hot wax weekends <laughs> on 55 KRC and Tom Daniels did this amazing impression of this guy that literally would bring us to tears. I mean, it was amazing. So Tom Daniels did morning. The guy who did middays, I, I can picture him. I can't remember his name, sadly. Um, afternoons was done by, uh, I think, um, Stacy Yelton was doing Afternoons. Uh, and she went by the name, I think it was Kelly Clark. And then I, when I was hired, I, I, was, I was doing nights. I forget who was doing overnights. And what was your, what was your air name? I went on the air as Steve Dedalus. They, even you know before before we did the format switch. Okay. Um, Another myth busted. Yeah. So um, and then, yeah, that was the staff. And then Robin Plan. When did she come in? So I hired Robin. Okay. Um, I forget what the overnight situation was like um, at the time, but um, we needed an overnight person, and. I, we had gotten, we were getting tapes, you know, and I had gotten the tape from Robin um, with this atta like papered at attachment that had kind of stuff on it. I forget exactly what, but I was completely fascinated by Robin because um, she, the music that she was playing was fantastic. And then, um, and the whole, her, the whole Robin plan thing, she had the whole Robin plan thing going. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was just completely fascinated by her, and I was like, "We gotta get, we gotta get her in here," you know. And and she went on the air at two o'clock in the morning, and I told Doug like at two o'clock in the morning, man, we should just go completely freeform. Who the hell cares, right? And that was Robin's whole thing. Like she was literally at where she was disc jockeying before she came to ninety seven. She was just playing whatever she wanted to play, and. Um, 
And then when I talked to her, I found out she had this like really crazily eclectic and broad um, music collection, like her own collection that we didn't have in our library. So I thought this is another way to get a bunch of records into our library that could be played, you know. Um, so yeah, I hired her and then she came and basically uh, we put her on the air uh, doing this thing called Planet X with Robin Plan and uh, she had no format. She could play whatever she wanted to play. And literally, like I used to, I used to stay up and listen to her sometimes. Like you would hear her play um, Hank Williams Jr. and I'm not making this up, and then play, you know, like the Leather Nun or something, or Joey Popo Pies, you know, like this crazy, crazy American indie stuff, wacky British stuff, you know, outlaw country, like it, jazz. She played Coltrane or something. Like you never knew what she was going to play, right? I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever heard in my life, you know, and and so yeah, I was a big I was a big Robin Plan fan, man, the whole the whole time, you know. Um, I would say I was there started in '88, yeah, and for that you know nine year run that I had at the station there, she was still probably the most referenced person when uh, you know listeners would call in right. or, or you say you know what's Robin Plan like? What was she like? And I was yeah. like, well, unfortunately, she left about a year before I showed up, but everyone liked her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, still, like, when when I was there in the, you know, early 90s, people would still, like, with reverence, talk, oh, Robin Plan, I used to listen to Planet X, and that was the best, that right. was great. Yeah. yeah, no, it was fantastic, man. She uh, she was a person who had a real um, point of view. You know, there are very few radio people like that. Now, did you uh, also bring in some of the other specialty shows, uh, specifically Massive Metal for the Masses? We did. Yeah, absolutely. Massive Metal for the Masses. The greatest name ever in the history of, of uh, rock and roll radio shows. And honestly, I think the most calls ever for any show was yeah. Massive Metal for the Masses. Yeah. I yeah, I kind of forget exactly. Um, Dan Reed made yeah. it. Danny Crash, I think, actually named that. That's fantastic. And, uh, and I thought it was a I mean, hilarious name, really. Um, you know, it was like from the Department of Redundancy Department. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so Massive Meta for the Masses. And I think one of the reasons why we, we did that, if I remember, is like, so you guys got to put your hats on, like, going back to 83, 84, a radio station in Oxford, Ohio, nobody um, in the record business understood kind of really what we were doing even after we made the change. So, you know, all the record reps would call us in, in rep heavy metal records <laughs> and we were like well, we don't play heavy metal or we don't play that stuff you know and i'd be like well why, why not so one of the reasons just to kind of make these guys happy is you know if we create um a show on sunday nights and for two hours we'll play your records and that'll kind of keep them happy and then you know maybe we can get some other you know perks along the way yeah so when did uh, so Dan Reed came along right. at some point, and yeah. then also Steve Baker was you you brought him in. Yeah, so um, so that's so Tom Daniels. Uh, I'm trying to think of the chronology. Tom must have left not too long after we made the the switch, and um, and so we needed a new morning guy. And I think I think um, Bake had just sent his stuff to Doug and Doug looked at it and said, Hey, I'm thinking about hiring this guy. What do you think? And, um, I listened to the tape. I'm sure. I don't really remember the details. I think I listened to it though. And I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. So, you know, I mean, who knew, who knew, you know what I mean? 
that guy, he he's the king in my estimation. Oh, I agree. Now, did he call a football game in between time and temperature? Is that check? <laughs> I'm trying to think. When he started, did uh, who was doing? So John Pond. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when Bates started, did he start calling football right away? I don't think he did, did he? I don't think so either. I think when we talked to him, he grew into that. Yeah, way. yeah. I think he started actually calling those games after I was gone, mm-hmm. like a few years after I was gone. He was just doing mornings, and he was another kind of jack-of-all-trades. You know, he was a good radio guy. He was a jack-of-all-trades. He could do a lot of stuff. But, yeah, Bake was awesome. I, um, he was probably the, overall the best hire Doug ever did because, I mean, you think about how long he was there, and he was kind of the glue. Yeah, and, and the, the many hats that he wore. Yeah, another guy who wore a lot of hats. Yes, exactly. exactly. You know, part a morning show host, called the football games, could go out to the tower and fix the transmitter, yeah. or the, you know, like things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. And we, we did talk to him in a, on a previous episode. It's always good to check in with Bake. Yeah, man. 97X. W-O-X-Y, Oxford, Cincinnati. The future of rock and roll. You know how those 1980s sitcoms would have those very special episodes and they'd break them up into two parts? Well, this is our very special episode of Rumblings from the Big Bush. Tune in next time for the exciting conclusion of The Facts of Lo- I mean our interview with Steve Stankin. Thanks.